0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit RedemptionCalgaryNorth.com. Well, uh, you're going to need a Bible this morning. Uh, We are... Going to look at a passage that is uh, not to Mother's Day. Okay, I'm gonna just, just, I'll just put that out there. Uh, we are going verse by verse through the Bible, and that's just what we do. Uh, we don't kind of take. Commercial time, we just kind of keep going, and uh, so we are going to talk about moms a little bit uh, this morning. But if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and just slip up your hand. Uh, maybe maybe your your kiddos in here and they would like a children's Bible. Lashers told me there are some children's Bibles available too that they can hand out. So if uh, just slip up your hand, we want everybody to look down at God's Word together. If you're visiting with us this morning, I want to just kind of set. The scene, And then for those of us who have been studying, just a reminder, we're, we're kind of right now, we're in the middle section of God's covenant to Abram. Uh, we see in chapter 12, he calls Abram, and uh, really this whole section really doesn't end until Genesis 22. And so there's like, there's this continual revelation, this expanding upon what the covenant looks like. And, and um, last week we witnessed... Sarai and Abram uh, trying to get God's promises in their own ways, through their own wisdom, through worldly wisdom, and uh, that resulted in conflict and and sin and problems. Uh, But God is faithful. God is gracious. And as we're going to pick up the text this morning, as we continue this idea of the covenant, it's not a new covenant being formed this weekend uh, as we look at Genesis 17, it, it, is, it is a continuation of the covenant that God has given them, and now we're going to see a sign given for the covenant. And uh, when it comes to signs and symbols, uh, we love to live in the ditches, don't we? Right? Uh, we, we, we either make way too much about the symbol or sign, right? If we think about our New Testament context, uh, I've been baptized, so I'm going to heaven. Uh, that's not what the Scriptures say, right? The outward symbol does not save you, right? Or we do this. Eh, I know I probably should get baptized. Maybe someday I'll do that. I don't, I don't know. I, get, I just don't like getting in front of people. So, you know, maybe someday. And so we make too little of it. That's the other ditch we live in. Uh, Lord's Supper uh, not a sign, but more, more an ordinance when it comes to the, what the new covenant is for us. And same thing. I got I to keep taking the Lord's Supper so I can, get, I can get my sins covered, right? Rather than I'm taking the Lord's Supper because my sins are covered. And I'm remembering that, right? And so we love to make either too much or too little Of these things. And and, and I hope that by studying God's word this morning about Abraham's sign, that we would learn how we are to walk in obedience to God's covenant, to God's commands. And so I want to just pray one more time as we get uh, ready to study God's word together. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we are so thankful for your word. And even as we look at a, a, a chapter of Scripture that is a little strange for us in some ways, uh, God, we, we're so thankful that, Lord, it, it has so much truth for us to learn. And God, that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore, and, and in the same way that, Lord, you made a covenant with Abraham, Lord, you have made a covenant with many in this room, a new covenant. Lord, you have given us a, a new heart and a new mind. Lord, you've made us new creatures and given us your spirit into, to dwell us, Lord, because of uh, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, God, we, we, we are so thankful today that as we study our, your scripture today, that, Lord, we will learn more what, what it means to walk in obedience to your commands. And so, Lord, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you help this preacher? to preach your word in such a way that it's clear and, and in such a way that you would be brought honor and glory. In your name we pray, amen. All right, well, there is a lot to talk about. So instead of the normal, we're gonna read the whole thing first. We're just gonna get straight into it and we're gonna break it down verse by verse together. But as we do, I wanna see that the way of obedience requires four things. The way of obedience requires us to first see God's unmatched power. We think about what's going on here with faith. We, last week we've seen fragile faith. We've seen a faith that was weak. This week we're seeing a faith that is obedient. And in order for you and I to have uh, obedient faith, we need to see first God's unmatched power. We pick up in verse 1 it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. This now is 13 years later than chapter 16 ended, right? As we begin, 13 years have passed. Uh, that a lot has happened since that time, right? That, that, that Abram and Sarai, uh, they had thought, well, they, we can't have a child on our own. I guess we'll have one through Hagar. And as I mentioned already, it caused a lot of conflict, a lot of problems. But the kid's still there, right? 13 years later. And now Abram is 99 years old. And it's at this point that God shows up. It says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. As we see God's revelation continue to come, we see that the covenant, although God was the one who made the covenant with Abram, there is still a responsibility on Abram's side to be a part of the covenant. Faith is necessary. Obedience is necessary if you want to be a part of the covenant. And, and, and the people of Israel often failed in this regard. As you read through the Old Testament, they thought, hey, uh, we were circumcised. I'm part of God's family. Done. I can live however I want. I can do whatever I want. I'm, I've got a guaranteed hall pass into heaven. And that's not how it works. And, and, and as we read the New Testament, they, repeat, they remind the people over and over again, that's never been the way. It's always been by faith. And, and we've seen back in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Important to note, first the faith, and then there is this outward symbol that he has given. And so he says, I am God Almighty, walk before me. Now, this morning, is that how you view God, that he is almighty, that he can do whatever he says he will do, that there is no one and nothing who can come against him? Is that your view of God? When you go to him in prayer, are you believing that he is God almighty? And as he calls Abram, he's calling him to walk before him. Well, what does that mean? I and mean, that was my question when I first read it. What does it mean to walk before him? Well, it means this, that every, in everything that I do, everywhere that I am, I am conscious of the fact that I am before him, that, that I am in his presence. So not just when I come to church, I'm in his presence, but as I go to work, as I'm at home, wherever I'm at, I'm living as if I am in his presence And I am wanting to follow his ways, to walk in faithfulness to his ways. It's as Enoch when he walked with God. It's to walk in step with God. And then it says this, to be blameless. Uh, Gradenus is this, the Hebrew word translated blameless, does not mean sinless, but rather whole. It signifies complete, unqualified surrender. And Abram is to be wholly devoted to God his king. This is what God is requiring of Abram, wholehearted devotion to him. It's what God requires of you and I, who are part of the new covenant, wholehearted devotion. And then he says this, that I may make a covenant between, you, between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Again, keep in mind it's been 13 years since the Hagar incident, right? And, and then the Lord had met him before that. So it's been some time. He needs to be reminded of the fact that my covenant's still with you. You continue to, to walk in my ways and, and I will make my covenant with you. Nine times covenant is mentioned in this chapter. He says that he will multiply him greatly just as he already said he would do. Is again, just a repeating of what he said. And Abram's response is what? He falls on his face. Abram fell on his face. This is an expression of awe. It's also an action of respect towards the superior. It is an appropriate action for Abram to have as he comes before God Almighty, who's making this promise to him. And he's saying, God said to him, verse 3, Behold, verse 4, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. This is the first time we're being told that now there's going to be a multitude of nations. Before, you would have a multitude of descendants, but now it's not just descendants, but nations. And as we think about that, I think there there are some physical. Uh, facts about this, but I think there's also some spiritual implications I'm going to talk about at the end of this, the message this morning. But physically, he's already been told that Ishmael will be a people, right? Through Hagar, so Ishmael is going to be pe- people. They're going to be a nation. There's this kid who's coming, this Isaac. We're going to we're going to learn about this morning. There's going to be a nation through him, through his grandson Esau. That's where you get the Edomites from. Right? So just right there, there are three nations coming from him. There's going to be a multitude of nations coming from him. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. There was a word play going on here that that, that when when you hear the Hebrew for father of a multitude, it sounds like Abraham. And so now he's been given a new name. In the Near East at this time, this is what kings would do. If if there's going to be a change of an era or a change of a a time, there was a new name given. And God is making all things new here now. He's saying, hey, the time has come. Uh, No longer will you be called Abram. Now you will be called father of a multitude. Was he a father of a multitude right now? Can you imagine like, hey, 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 uh, name change. No longer refer to me as Abram. Call me Abraham. Like how many people were like snickering a little bit, right? Okay. 99-year-old Abram. We'll call you Abraham now. You're going to be a father of multitude for sure. But in faith, that's what he starts having everyone call him. Does he not? Right? He still just got Ishmael running around, right? Remember what he was called last weekend? That little wild donkey, Right? he's 13 now, so he's probably full into it, right? And, and, and that's all he's got. And it's not even from his wife, it's, it's through, through Hagar, who had been given to him. So, so how, in what sense is he this? And yet he believed. He believed. Abram uh, Ross says this: Abram probably encountered disbelief and concealed smiles when he instructed his servants to call him father of a multitude. And then he says in verse six, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into, a, into nations and kings shall come from you. You know what? Not just multitude of nations now, but kings will come from you. I mean, it just keeps getting better and better, doesn't it? And, and, and again, kings from Enoch, or sorry, from Ishmael, kings from Edom, from Esau, And then Judah as well. If you read in Genesis 49.10, there is a prophecy given there that there's going to be through the line of Judah, there will be a king, and from that king, every knee will bow before that king. All nations will praise that king. I wonder who that king would be. Anybody know 4,000 years later? Now, well, we know who that king is. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. His name is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the king. And so he would come through this line. And then we read in verse 7, And I will establish my covenant with, between me and you and your offspring after you throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Did you catch that repetition in those last couple of verses there? Like they're getting the land, fantastic, right? But, but better, twice he says, I will be their God. He's committing to be their God. Now, now sometimes... We, th- we have everything twisted, right? Especially in Canada. We're kind of like, well, you know, let's, let's see who's going to be my God, you know? I choose who will be my God. And what he's doing here is quite the opposite. He's saying, I will choose to be your God. And, and as we go through the Old Testament, we see his faithfulness to that commitment over and over again, even when the people of Israel turn away he remains committed to them. Though there is punishment, though there is discipline, he remains faithful to be their God. What an awesome thing. I mean, that is better than anything. I, um, I was at a, a conference this last week, and, and I just was, was convicted anew. I, I love the, the, the way the speaker put it. He said, you know, God didn't save you so that you could do stuff for him, He saved you so that you could be with him. Isn't that that such a better way to think about it? I get it. We'll do stuff. But it comes out of the overflow of the relationship rather than here's the list I got to do or else he's not going to be happy. And he's committing to say, I will be with you. I will be your God, your personal God. I will love you. Twenty-four years after first calling Abram to follow him, the Lord is now saying, at 99 years old, my power is sufficient to fulfill this. He will bring about a new creation when all seems hopeless. How do you view God this morning? Do you see him in unmatched power? Or do you feel like your enemies around you, your problems around you are so much greater than he is? Do you see that he is faithful to do all that he says he will do? What about when it comes to your sin in your life? How are you viewing sin in your life? Maybe you've been wrestling with something for a long time. Do you believe that he who began the good work in you will complete it? Do you believe that there is no temptation overcome you, but such is common to man And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able? Do you believe that though you are weak, that he is strong? Look to him who walked blamelessly before the Lord and find hope in him. Jesus walked a perfect life. He shows us that as we put our hope and trust in him, we can walk in faithfulness. We can... Walk wholly devoted to Him. Do you believe that this morning? We need to see God's unmatched power if we are to walk in obedience to Him. The, the, the crazy thing is, when it comes to obedience, the first thing you need to do is like, I can't do it. Check mark, right? Right? You wake up in the morning like, wow, I'm going to take take the the world for the Lord. Look Look what I'm going to do. And you're just going to fall straight on your face. But if you wake up in the morning and say, God, I got nothing. I am weak, but you are strong. Lord, in my flesh I will fail, but you've given me your spirit to lead me, to guide me, to help me today. Lord, I believe that. So I submit myself anew today, and now I walk in your power and in your ways. I'm wholly devoted to you. May that be our heart's cry this morning. The way of obedience doesn't just require us to see God's unmatched power. It also requires us to understand God's unending grace. God's unending grace. God now gives Abraham a covenant sign. As he had given Noah and the whole earth, a rainbow to signify the Noahic covenant, now he gives Abraham a sign. In verse 9, he says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, circumcision, circumcision did not begin with this covenant, covenant, right? This was not, he didn't, he wasn't like, okay, that sounds great. What is it again, right? Notice there's no description as to, as to what exactly is going on. In Egypt, they were already practicing this. Matthew says the Egyptians employed circumcision predominantly as a puberty rite or a marriage rite. And so it was going on in the culture at that time. But God now is making it something else. Just as there were many, many people who were crucified, now the cross means something so much different for you and I who are in Christ. And so he's taking something that's going on in the world and making it a sign of membership into the covenant family. However, we know that this is simply an outward sign, right? That it wasn't sufficient in itself. It was to 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 indicate something that had already been Done in Abraham's case here, Abraham's case. To be truly a part of God's covenant people, faith was also necessary. To be simply circumcised was not enough to make you a part of God's family. With Ishmael, he's going to be circumcised here. We do not expect to see Ishmael in heaven, right? It seems that even as he gets older and and, and and Isaac is born, he's mocking the things of of God. It it doesn't seem like he's in a good spot. And we know that his trajectory after he leaves is not a good one either. It seems like though he had the sign, he never experienced the grace of God in his life. He never placed his faith and trust in God. Ross says this. Elsewhere in Scripture, the significance of the rite of circumcision is explained more fully as we think about what is circumcision. It is a symbol of purity, of loyalty to the covenant, and of separation from the life of the world. Moses said that God would circumcise the hearts of his people so that they might be devoted to him in Deuteronomy 36, 30 verse 6. It wasn't just about the flesh. It was about the heart as well. And this is where the people of Israel failed over and over again. And how many people today fail. They think they just showing up at church, maybe getting their kids baptized at some point. That's enough. That's, God's good with us now, right? We, we, we can do whatever we want, say whatever we want, and God will accept us. But that's not how it works. He wants your heart, right? Uh, the sacrifices of God are what? A contrite heart, that's what he desires from his people. He wants them to be fully devoted to him. He continues on You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought, bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house. And he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. All right, so the covenant, this, this, this ceremony, this circumcision, wasn't just going to be for Abram. Not for Abraham. It wasn't going to be just for Ishmael. It, just not his immediate family. But everyone in his home was to be circumcised. And this was to go on. If you were to be a part of the people of Israel, you were to be circumcised. Now, what I find super ironic about this is who's writing these things down? Uh, Moses, right? You remember uh, Exodus 4? You know, uh, him almost getting killed. Why did he almost get killed? Because his kid was not circumcised, right? And until Zipporah took care of that, he was in big trouble, right? And, and, but he did do the right thing eventually, right? And so this was to go on for the people of Israel to be an everlasting covenant. Now, what makes this an everlasting covenant? What, what's, what's happening here? Well, just as the sign was permanent, right? Circumcision, there is no reversing circumcision. God is making an everlasting covenant with them, A person may fail. A person may receive receive the blessing of the Lord if there was no faith. But God was always faithful to the offspring of Abram and Sarai, right? So, as a people group, God was always faithful. But as individuals, whether you would be partakers of that or not was based on your faith. But God was always faithful to His covenant. MacArthur also had some good insight as to the symbolism. So we we see it as an everlasting aspect of the covenant. We also see it as a sign of membership into the covenant family. But there's also some other symbolism going on in the physical act itself. MacArthur says this, the symbolism had to do with the need to cut away sin and be cleansed. It was the male organ which most clearly demonstrated the depth of depravity because it carried the seed that produced depraved sinners. Through the line of Adam, Adam, sin has been passed on from generation to generation. Thus, circumcision symbolized the need for a profoundly deep cleansing to reverse the effects of depravity. They needed to to cut away sin from their life. They they needed to be cleansed by God. This is what they needed. This is what you and I need. If we were to come before God, we need to be cleansed of our sins. Now, if they refused to do this, what would happen? Verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off From his people, he has broken my covenant. There's a word word play going on here. If they they don't do circumcision, which involves cutting, if you don't do that, guess what? You're cut off from God's people. You're no longer a part of the people of God. It showed that there was no true faith, that, that you did not desire to walk in obedience to God's command. It was as simple as that. God said, if, this, if you're to be my people, this is what you must do. If you did not do that, guess what? You're no longer a part of his people. It's pretty hard for us as Canadians to hear that, right? Well, what do you mean? Like, can we negotiate? Right? Like, maybe there's more than one way. You know, God, God seems like he's pretty narrow-minded here. He is very narrow-minded. He says, do it my way or there is no other way. And that's what he's indicating here. The command is not optional if you're going to be a part of the Abrahamic covenant. The sign of the Abrahamic covenant did not save them, but spoke of the work of God in their lives. By faith, God would be their God and they would be his people. He would cause them to be set apart and to be holy. He would cleanse them. He would eternally be their God. This was the symbolism of circumcision. Circumcision. The sign pointed to the grace of God in Abraham's life and in all who would follow after the Lord. Baptism is now that for you and I. When we're baptized, baptism does not save us. It it rather indicates that we have been saved, that we have been identified with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Right, The going down into the water and coming back up symbolizes the new life that has been given us through Jesus Christ. His death has become our death. His his paying the penalty for sin sin has become our sin. And, And as he's been raised to new life, we've been given new life in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. And so just as baptism was this outward symbol of what God had done, this was to be an outward symbol for them as well. If you want kind of a a New Testament commentary on this text, you turn to Romans 4, 9 through 12. We're not going to do that this morning. We don't have time to do that. But turn to Romans uh, 4, 9 through 12. You just want to write that down. And you can see that first there was salvation, then there was circumcision. Worsby puts it like this, circumcision was not the means of his salvation, but the mark of his separation as a man in covenant relationship with God. Did you catch that? It's not the means of his salvation, but the mark of his separation. It would be a reminder to them of God's unending grace towards them, that he would be their God and they would be his people if they walked before him. To be uncircumcised was to say what? We do not believe. Hugh says this, Here in circumcision, we have an early warning that there is no way but God's way. How this flies in the face of conventional religious culture, which imagines that it is God's duty to accept us apart from his directives as long as we are doing our best. How many people think that? Well, I'm doing my best. Are you doing God's way? Nope, but I'm doing my best. Your best isn't good enough. How many people will think they did their best on Judgment Day and will result condemned? You have to go God's way. Duguid notes that many people approach God as if they were interviewing Him for a job description for a personal deity in my life, right? If the man in the sky fits the job description, being non judgmental and accepting, and allows us to determine what is right and wrong, he's got the job right? Isn't that how it's going in the church in North America? We determine what is right and what's wrong. Who cares about this book? Okay, you know what? It seems like we've kind of made a big deal about this book for a long, long time. So we need to get some scholars in who will change what we thought for the last 2,000 years so that we can make a God of our own making. But we won't say it's a God of our own making. We'll say it's what the Bible says. Twisting God's Word. But God is clear when it comes to the New Testament covenant. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. If you would be a part of the new covenant, then you must be in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It must be his way and not our ways. Thirdly, the way of obedience requires us to receive God's unexpected blessing. God's unexpected blessing. God also now makes his covenant promises to Sarai. Generally speaking, Gredanus notes, wives were included in God's covenant by virtue of their husband's membership and daughters by virtue of their father's membership. It's how the old uh, Abrahamic covenant worked. Here God is making all things new for Sarai. (coughs) Verse 15, and God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Now, what's really fascinating about her name is that the meaning really doesn't change a whole lot. Sarai means princess. But in that, uh, that kind of particular meaning, it means that she was a descendant of royalty. Now Sarah means that she will be the mom of royalty. She is a princess still. But now looking forward to what is to come. And God says this, I will bless her and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will become nations. Kings of peoples shall come, by, come from her. Same exact Uh, Promises given to Abraham are now given to Sarah. Many nations, kings coming from her. And Abraham was like, praise God, right? This is what, that was his reaction. I I was wondering, you know, 13 years ago, we kind of wondered, but now we know, praise God. Is that what he says? No, he does not say that. Note his reaction. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed to himself. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? <laughs> Are you kidding me? For real? Like, I think that's his attitude. Like, for real? Like, we gave up 13 years ago. Like, I've kind of checked the stats. You don't become more fertile as you get older. Right? Right? Like, like he, he, this is his heart. He's like, we, we kind of give up already. You know, we, we, how could this be that this would be the case? Now, I, I just think that that's his, it's not disrespectful, right? I just think he's like, really? <laughs> are you kidding? How can this be? Hey, God, I got an idea. Verse 18. And Abram said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I don't know if you are aware, but I did have another son, uh, his name's is Ishmael. He's 13. Just do the promises through him. Make the covenant through him. It's okay. <laughs> like, we, we, that ship has sailed, you know. We're okay with it now. It was really hard for a long, long time, but we're okay with it now. Like that's how, like he's saying, right? It, it's this so interesting, Like, isn't it? Like before, it's like, hey, Eleazar. I guess, is it through him? Is he the guy? Nope, he's not the guy. And then, and then Sarai's like, uh, I don't know. Like, this isn't working. You can, let's, let's take Hagar and let's have a kid through him. And, and so she's like, maybe through Ishmael. Now he's like, through Ishmael. He's like, he's like, no, <laughs> right? Now, again, note God's grace, right? But also, I love his little bit of tongue-in-cheek stuff going on here too, okay? So how does he respond? God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Anybody know what Isaac means? He laughs. <laughs> Next chapter, Sarah's going to laugh. Abram's already laughed, right? Abraham's already laughed. And guess who gets the last laugh? God gets the last laugh, right? He's like, yeah, okay. You're going to remember this day. Guess what your kid's going to be named? He laughs. Every time we call him, hey, he laughs. <laughs> Come over here. Because God gets the glory, right? Isn't that, isn't that what's going on here? He gets the glory. It seems impossible. How in the world would this ever happen? They, and again, they, they've, they've given up hope that this would be the case for them. There must be a different way. We missed it somehow. And God's saying, yeah, now is exactly the right time where I'm going to step in. Because it will be seen that I was the one who did it all. There's no, there's no chance that Abraham and Sarah are like, yeah, well, we just, you know, we, we were really fit. And, uh, you know, we ate well. And, you know, apparently and we don't, we, it was us. They, they, didn't, they didn't know it's not them. And so God is giving life. He gets the glory for this, this son who will be born, the one who, through whom the covenant will go through. Not through Ishmael, through this son. The everlasting covenant will come through him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall, uh, he, he shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. He's going to be blessed. On this earth, he's blessed. He, he, he's he's, he's going to win a lot of battles. He's going to have 12 princes. He's going to be a wealthy guy. He, he's he's going to have many, many descendants. But he will not be a part of the everlasting covenant. Verse 21 But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Interesting, too. It was like, mm, you're still going to wait three more months before you conceive, you're still waiting. But by this time next year, you're going to have a kid. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. My promises will come through Isaac. Now, if you're visiting with us, you're probably like, I didn't think uh, they would have a Mother's Day sermon on circumcision. (laughs) I did not expect that. Of all the passages, I would not have expected this. But you know, I, I just thinking it is, it is kind of good that we would just stop and think about Sarah here for a minute. If you've been with us as we've been studying the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 3, it said that in pain, they would, that, that from then on, that women would have, uh, in childbearing, they would have pain. And as we talked about that text, as we really we, we expanded on that, it wasn't just in the delivering of the baby, the physical delivering of the baby, but, but the whole thing, motherhood, would be painful. And I think on this Mother's Day, as Jordan has already done so well, I think it's appropriate for us to recognize that being a mom is really hard, that, that, that it requires you every day to wake up and say, God, <laughs> I'm weak. I can't do this another day. I am so tired. But God, you are strong. And Lord, you've, you've blessed me by having a child. Lord, would you help me to, to, to go through another day? Would you give me strength? Would you give me wisdom to go through this day? Now, mothering can be hard as well in the sense that um, some ladies long to have a child and so far you, you don't have a child. And that can be really, really hard. And I, I would just point you to Sarah here this morning. And for, for some, maybe your story will be Sarah's story. You, you'll wind up having a child unexpectedly. Maybe doctors have told you. I've heard this story over and over again where, where doctors are like, yeah, sorry. It's just never going to happen for you guys. And so they decide, okay, well, maybe adoption will be the way. And, and so they look, start looking into that or fostering. And then all of a sudden, they're having a baby. And they've adopted, right? And all of a sudden, instant family, right? Sometimes that's what God's story is. And then other times, God just says no. And you, as painful as that is, you just, you, you, you trust him. And you need to submit to him. In either case, you need to wait on the Lord in those things. And as your pastor, I, I don't know why God says no sometimes. I, I don't. I don't understand. But I know that He's good. And he's faithful, and he loves you, and he cares for you. And I I would just encourage you to rest in him and in his plans for you. And then, also, as Jordan already mentioned, this is a hard day for some because mom's not on earth anymore. And I would also just remind you this morning that God is the God of all comfort. And if there's a little sadness on this day of Mother's Day as you think about your mom who's no longer with you, Know that he loves you, and he cares for you, and he's comforting you. And Lord willing, someday you will be reunited with her. But for all of us here this morning, I pray that we would remember our moms, not just today. It's great that the world does it on a day of the year, right? But as believers, we ought to celebrate motherhood all year long. Men, (laughs) I tried motherhood uh, for like, uh, was it two months, babe, three months? Uh, we were in a transition time. Heather was working. The kids were like two and a half in one, and I was at home alone, all alone with the kids. <laughs> and I was like, I will never ask Heather uh, uh, how her day went ever again, and think it went easy. Like this is the hardest job in the world. You know that was that was my perspective after being home alone. And and I and and so men, we need to come alongside our wives and encourage them and strengthen them in this task. And as the world spews their lies about demeaning and lowering motherhood, as if it's not something to be aspired to, uh, just. This is, call it what it is, it's a lie from, straight from the pit and, and, and let us as a church celebrate that which God celebrates. Right? And so uh, let may we do that well today and, and uh, from this day forward as men of God. Well, lastly, the way of obedience requires us to follow God's unwavering command. I, I'm not going to take long on this point, but I, I just want us to note that, that He does it. Right, he he does it right away. In fact, following God's the way of obedience requires us to follow God's unwavering command. God made the command; He's not changing the command. And and we see Abraham respond in faith by obeying. Verse twenty-three. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son. And all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. He didn't wait for an extra day. He didn't wait, you know, maybe next week we'll do this, or maybe in shifts, you know. I, like, can you imagine, it's one thing to say, okay, Lord, I'm doing it. You told me to do it, I'm doing it. But we know there's at least over 300 men in his household. And somehow, he convinces them all to do it, right? Not, not just himself, but everybody. And and, and and it's painful, right? Blood is shed. I mean, I mean, we don't need to kind of get more into the details here, but it, this is, this is recognized. There was a cost in doing this, and yet he is... Faithful to obey right away, Like what that should convict you and I when it comes to walking in God's commands. He is He is faithful to do it right away. So he does not make any excuses. He doesn't try to explain it away. You know, can we do something maybe halfways? You know, can we, you know, I'll get my ear pierced. I don't know, do something different. He doesn't do that. Now in case we missed it, I just think it's really ironic the way this is put. Okay, so we're like, okay, end of chapter, right? No, it's not end of chapter. I think, I think Moses wants to see how big of a deal this was. Verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And... Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, and, uh, that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael, were circumcised. Like how many times we're we going to say the same thing? And then what? And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Like he wants to make clear, this was a really significant day in. The, in, in, the, in salvation history, that day, this, this sign was given. Gradenus puts it like this that very day is repeated by repeating this phrase. The narrator stresses that that, that that day Abraham circumcised his family was one of the turning points in world history, comparable to Noah's entry into the ark or the exodus from Egypt. It was a momentous day in redemptive history. This was the birthday of the church of the Old Testament, is the way he puts it. It was a key day. They stepped out in faith and did what God had called them to do. Everyone understood that day that the promises of God were to be taken seriously. Right? Every single one of that household understood that when God makes a promise and he tells you to do something, you do it. You do not delay; you do it right away. And I just want to—I want to say this lovingly and graciously this morning. But what have you done with the New Testament symbol? Have you been baptized? Have you believed and been baptized? If you have not, then you're walking in disobedience. I, I think when we, you know, when we think about. Well, but you don't understand my situation. My situation's different. Well, talk to Abraham. (laughs) He wasn't making excuses. I mean, baptism is not circumcision. Right? You're going to get wet. And it is tart. Listen, I don't know why I'm doing this job. I hate getting up in front of people. So I get it. Anytime anybody says to me, like I don't like I don't like getting in front of people. Yeah, me too. But God, in His crazy plans, sometimes where you're just like, Lord, really like that? Like, yeah, because I'll get the glory because you can't do it, Peacock. Okay. But some of you, they're like, I, I do it, but I just don't want to get up in front of people and I get really nervous. You need to lay that aside. You need to say, Okay, God, I'll, I'll do it. You called me to do it. It's a sign that, that, that I've walked, in, uh, that I've, I've become your child, and so in obedience, I'm going, to, I'm going to do it. It doesn't save you, but by you ignoring it and not doing it, you're walking in disobedience. And so I want you just to, to think about that this morning. When will you be baptized? Some people are like, well... I'm not doing too well, right? They know in their own life they're, they're walking in sin and, 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 and not walking in faithfulness as they ought to, and so they continue to put it off. Well, let, let the baptism be the impetus to repent of whatever you're doing and then walk in faithfulness. By the way, after you get baptized, you're gonna sin again. It does not make you sinless. But I get it. If you, if you got some public things going on in your life, can I just encourage you? Repent then. Repent today. Don't put it off. And then be baptized. And say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all in for the Lord. That's what we're saying when we're being baptized. I'm all in. I'm his child. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. If you have questions about baptism, uh, the elders would love to talk to you about that. I'd love to talk to you about that. And, and maybe you're not sure of w- how it all works. We'd love to talk to you about it. Well, I want us just to bring it back now one more time, back to the, these promises that were given to Abraham, that he would be the father of many nations. Now, we've talked about the physical aspect of that, but I think there's a greater spiritual aspect that as we read through the Bible and more and more things are revealed, that we see the fruit of that promise in Revelation chapter seven, that he would be the father of many nations because through his line, what? What? The one who would come to stomp the head of Satan would come. Jesus Christ, he came. And as a result of that, you and I, who many of you, uh, most of you, maybe all of you, are Gentiles. We're not part of the, uh, the Abrahamic covenant. But God has made us uh, a part of his covenant people now through Jesus Christ. And, and so the, the expansion of who would be a, the, the multitude of nations now has enveloped the whole earth and so we just, I want us just to close with Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 10, 9 and 10. And he says, after this I looked and, and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Through this promise, and as we look forward, God has made a people for himself from every tribe and nation and tongue. And he's, going, he's continuing to do that until he returns. And so may we join him in that task. We learned a lot this morning from the life of Abraham. We learned what it means to walk in obedience. It's being reminded of his unmatched power. It's being reminded of his grace towards us. It's being reminded of of the fact that that it is in him that we have life this morning. And may we walk in obedience to him. Let me pray for us. God, we're so thankful for this time together. We're so thankful that, Lord, you hear our prayer today. And, God, we, we, we think about the fact that, Lord, we are not as obedient as we ought to be many times. Sometimes that's because we have a a wrong view of who you are, Uh, sometimes that's, uh, Lord, because we we desire to walk in our flesh versus uh, walking in your ways, but God, whatever the case may be, Lord, would you cause us to repent? And God, we are so thankful that, Lord, you are making all things new. Lord, as you give Abraham a new name and Sarah a new name and, and, and Lord, give them this new sign of the covenant, Lord, you have, uh, have made many of us new. Lord, you've made us into new creatures through Jesus Christ. The old has passed away and the new has come. And so God, we pray that we would walk accordingly, that we would walk whole, with wholehearted devotion to you. That we would remember that as possible because you are God Almighty. And that Lord, because you've given us your spirit, Lord, we can walk with you today. Lord, if there be anyone here this morning who has never placed their hope and trust in you, God, I pray that today would be the day where they would see that, Lord, you have made a way through Jesus Christ that they too might be saved. It's your name we pray. Amen.